Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really amazing founder, a founder that not only has done it once, but twice. And uh, the second time around, you know, he's building this rocket ship. You know, we're going to be talking about all types of the good stuff that we like to hear when it comes to building and scaling, uh, how he actually started his companies with zero experience on the domains that he was operating in or he intended to actually operate in. Uh, also, how he went from uh, pivoting, not only in the product, but also pivoting on the location because he was in India, then now he's in the U.S. So it's a very interesting transition that many, many of us entrepreneurs, including myself, you know, we have experience, you know, too, as immigrants. Uh, and then also uh, moving into the U.S., you know, and, 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 and having that global approach at building the business. So again, really inspiring conversation ahead of us. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Srini K.A. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Alejandro. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for hosting me. So born in Chennai, India, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? Chennai. Chennai is the probably one of the hottest cities around in India. So it was hot. A lot of memories about heat and summer uh, growing up. Used to always, I used to always wonder when you read poems that says, hey, nice and warm. We never associated nice and warm together. Nice was cold for us. Uh, so yeah, it was a it was a really interesting time growing up in the eighties in Chennai. And how was it like there too? Like with the I know there's a lot of pressure around education, you know, the culture, and you're either an engineer or you're a doctor. In your case, you decided engineer. So uh, so that problem solving approach, where where did that come from for you? <laughs> growing up, I actually wanted to be a poet. Uh, a tremendous pressure from my parents to become an engineer, so I ended up being an uh, being an engineer. Loved computers. I mean, the first time I actually touched computers, I really fell in love with them. Uh, all, always like, and just as a thought exercise to myself, I keep when I even when I walk, I look around stuff and say, "Hey, what if I could actually do it differently?" So in that sense, problem solving has always been fun for me. And what was that, uh, you know, that that experience too of of coming to the U.S. as well, you know, working for a U.S. company like it was Texas Instruments at the time, you know, what, what was that culture culture shock? Because I mean, the U.S. is a little bit of different than you know from perhaps you know where you came from, from India, or from where I came from, from Spain. So how was that of a culture shock for you? Actually, I worked in Texas Instruments in India in Bangalore. Okay. Uh, so it was a transition in that sense, uh, uh, spending the two years uh, with Texas Instruments. I, I think TI was the first company, uh, tech company that actually started a uh, development center in India, one of the first pioneers in India to start tech. Uh, and then I moved to the U.S., uh, spent about a year, year and a half in the U.S. working for a startup ideas here. And that was a huge transition, one from, from warmer, hot climate that was in Minneapolis so it was a huge switch from a climate perspective, but also very interesting to have, you know, completely different culture, different way of working, uh, if you will, Alejandro. So well, well, also warmer, warmer when it comes to the to the type of duties that you're doing, because I mean, obviously, when you go from a company like Texas Instruments to a startup, you know, you're putting fires out every day, all day. So 
I mean, that, that was quite a big deal for you to make that transition from a big company to a small company. I mean, what really pushed you in that direction? So by, by a couple of years out of college, we had decided that we will start something. So wanted to get some experience working in a startup, you know, being out at a large company like TI. We were primarily, you know, at such a narrow view. Our aperture was very, very narrow in terms of what we could see. Uh, so wanted to work in a startup to just gain the experience. So spent about a year, year and a quarter with ideas before we went back and uh, went back to India and started uh, our previous company. That's amazing. Now, now in, 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 your, in your case, you know, you started, you know, your company, your previous one, your first one, and that was Impulse Soft. And you started that with a, with a bunch of friends. So, uh, so how did you get the band together and, and why did you guys think that this is what made sense? Because you had no experience, you know, in this segment. Absolutely. So the way I became an entrepreneur was fairly accidental. One of my friends, who was a classmate from college, uh, came to me and said, hey, I want to start a company. Do you want to join? I, being a nice guy, nice friend, didn't want to say no. So I said, yes, that's pretty much how I got started with the whole entrepreneurship journey. Uh, I had no idea what an entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur meant. Uh, never had anybody, I hadn't even known anybody that has been ever been in a business, even a small shop. Right. So in that sense, it was completely, completely new. I was staying with my brother. So it was easy. All expenses taken care of already. So it was a fairly easy risk uh, to take. Uh, and the intent uh, for us to start that company was to build an enduring brand out of India, a product brand like a Sony or an HP. That's how we actually started off with. You know, this was the 1990s, late 1990s, where there were a lot of service companies out of India that were successful, but they were, there weren't any product companies. So we thought, hey, let's build a global brand out of India. Uh, so that was the original intent. Of course, we had no idea what it would take to get there. You were sufficiently young and naive. All we had this was this grand dream uh, about building this product company. So we ended up you know, trying a whole bunch of things. I mean, this was, again, pre, I mean, this was in India. Phones weren't very, mobile phones weren't popular. This were pagers. So we built a, a pager system for blood banks. We built a, an account an activity-based costing, uh, an accounting system for textile industry. We built a simulator for uh, a chip design. We tried all sorts of stuff uh, before we actually saw this opportunity uh, that whole Bluetooth wireless, uh, you know, was coming up. And we thought, hey, let's go build something to learn about the product, not necessarily to sell, not necessarily to make money, but to learn how to build a product. So we ended up building a Bluetooth software stack so then tell us about how that uh, journey went, because even though it was the first company, it was the first exit. You know, you guys had a, a positive outcome. So, uh, so what, walk us through how that journey towards, you know, that acquisition, you know, how did that go? Yeah, so once we started, once we landed up on doing Bluetooth, we, start, we built a software stack. And little did we realize that we were one of the three or four companies globally that was building those. So there was suddenly a lot of demand, customers calling in. Uh, asking us for, hey, can you actually provide us a, a software stack because we're building this Bluetooth product? Again, remember, this was 2000 uh, timeframe. Uh, so we had Siemens from Germany, we had uh, Acer, and then subsequently Samsung, Nokia, uh, Sony Ericsson, a bunch of companies uh, that we en that ended up using our product, uh, eventually Broadcom, Texas Instruments. So went from absolutely nothing to become one of the leaders in Bluetooth wireless uh, software stack. Uh, eventually, uh, 
the product was getting commoditized. So we wanted to look at building the next level of product, which was essentially getting into consumer products, uh, Bluetooth wireless headphones and so on. So we wanted to raise some money, started talking to a bunch of uh, potential investors. One thing led to the other. Uh, and uh, we had a couple of companies, some of these strategics coming and asking us saying, hey, would, they be, would you be willing to sell the company to them so that they could build out the Bluetooth product? So eventually got acquired by Surf, uh, which was the largest GPS semiconductor company at that point of time, uh, NASDAQ listed, uh, which is now part of Qualcomm. Um, so yeah, decided that, hey, we've spent the last seven years. This was you know in 2005, spent, uh, spent the last uh, previous seven years uh, and uh, you know time to look at the next new thing, next thing. And how was that visibility that that gave you, you know, into the full, I would say, cycle of a company? Because now, you know, not only you did the incubation, the launch, the financing, the scaling, but then also the exiting. How, what kind of visibility that, does that give you? This was phenomenal as a learning experience for us, right? And somebody, I mean, again, I've been an engineer, software engineer uh, at heart, had no idea what an accounts receivable was, what an accounts payable was, or how much, you know, what, what a term sheet was, right? So pretty much from everything from, you know, what it takes to run a business, what it takes to raise money, what it takes to exit the business. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience overall. Uh, we sold the company for about $15 million uh, in total. So it was, it was a, a, an okay exit. Obviously, we were still young in the 20s, you know, where we uh, had, you know, a fairly good dollar amount in the bank, uh, but nowhere near what we wanted to become, which was the Sony RHP uh, out of India. So from that perspective, it was a failure uh, from where we started, but the experience was just amazing. So it gave us the confidence that we can go build anything that we want and can be successful. At least we knew what we didn't know. Now, in your case, you know, like how was that transition, you know, from, you know, building you know, Impulsoft, you know, to now taking it easy for two years, which is the vesting and resting, you know, being, you know, with the acquirer, to then all of a sudden thinking, hey, I got to do something. I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah. So as part of the transition, when we sold the company, we were fairly clear that in two years, we'll actually quit and start something new, right? So we, I mean, at heart, we were entrepreneurs. So wanted, we're fairly sure. So there was a two year we had committed to the company, acquiring company that will stay back for at least two years. So the second year anniversary on the day uh, uh, of, of the acquisition, the second year anniversary, we quit. And the next day we started Amagi, which is our current company. So the intent was, you know, now that we have learned our lesson at some level, we are hopeful, hopefully wiser uh, than we, what we were. So this time we actually said, hey, let's go build something really, really big that's enduring, uh, that's going to go beyond uh, the three of us, uh, that's going to, you know, be around well beyond us. So we want to build something really, truly groundbreaking. So we set up three goals when we actually started the company, saying, hey, these are three things that actually should be the criteria if you're successful. What would success look like? One, it should be truly scalable uh, a company, global in nature. It can actually transcend barriers. Two, it should change the industry. And we didn't know what industry it was going to be. So we just decided that whatever industry it's going to be, a pre-Amagi and a post-Amagi, the industry should look different because of us. We should have been able to influence the industry, impact the industry in a way that if we actually change it. And three, it should be fun. I mean, it should be you know, something that we would enjoy uh, uh, doing. 
so we we took these obviously we decided to start with uh, with india india focused business uh, given india was blooming at that point of time we said hey let's go build something for india but it is to be truly truly scalable business so then why why did you guys decide you know when it came to obviously building a scalable business on amaji to to be the one that you will be pulling the trigger on Right. So when we actually, you know, thought about Amagi, then we decided, hey, we started looking around, saying, hey, what are the big opportunities? What are the massive gaps in the market that we could address using technology? And we were looking at saying, hey, what are the big changes happening in the industry? What are the second order effects? What are the third order effects? Are we are we able to, you know, look at gaps there? Uh, and we looked at tons and tons of different ideas. Again, the three of us that actually co-founded, again, we were classmates in college. We worked at Texas Instruments together. We had founded the uh, previous company together. So had some you know, phenomenal relationship, but come from completely different thought processes, right? Uh, so I, I personally, I'm somebody that's actually much, much more data-driven, will want data for everything to see, you know, is there proof? You know, tell me, you know, why this would work. Or one of my other colleagues, uh, is was is a super optimist would come in and say, "Hey, next ten years, this is what is going to happen. You know, future is very rosy, and we can actually build." You know, super confident. And the third person, uh, she is a pessimist by nature. She'll tell me, "Hey," she'll come up with every reason as to why it won't work. So very interesting, diverse background. So as we started looking at, "Hey, what are the different things that we can actually do?" Uh, debated a whole bunch of stuff coming from different viewpoints, and one of the opportunities that all three of us converged on was this broader shift of television viewing from traditional cable TV to streaming internet-based uh, viewing. We thought this was back in 2008. We thought that's going to be, you know, certainly going to be a big trend going forward. At that point of time, people are watching YouTube on desktop, but otherwise people weren't really streaming TV. So we thought that's going to happen in the next few years. Let's go build software that can actually power that so that all of us can watch personalized television and personalized advertising. So that was the premise on which we started. We thought, hey, it's a massive opportunity, can be global, uh, can truly you know, change the industry if you're able to build something that can deliver personalized television for everyone. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieverson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So 
With that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, comes 2017, you know, you thought that you were in the path that you had hoped for, but then all of a sudden you realize that it's time to adjust to what the market is asking you for. And obviously quite bumpy. Uh, you guys decide to um, obviously listen to the market and you let go of almost everyone in the entire company. I mean, that's not easy. So so what happened there? Walk, walk us through that. Yeah, so we, we, once we started, got on this path, right, we eventually ended up, we actually pivoted even in 2008 as we started with this idea. We figured that a streaming was still not happening. It's going to take some time. So we we pivoted twice within the year as we went and, you know, build products, went out to the market and actually got feedback uh, where we ended up building an ad tech company out of India, focusing on geo-targeted advertising on cable TV. So this grew to be a fairly large business, one of the fastest growing businesses, media businesses in India. We actually twice got selected within the top three of the fastest growing m and businesses by Deloitte, 500 in APAC. So growing really, really fast. But we had a couple of big headwinds uh, coming towards us. One was uh, structurally, you know, while we were growing, uh, we were bleeding money. Uh, the, the business model required us to consistently fund uh, the business. And two, there were fundamental channel conflicts with our partners, which are our television networks, where uh, they would see conflicts in terms of the same customer base that we are going after. So by 2017, we had become the largest ad tech, TV ad tech, uh, television ad tech company in India. Uh, a fairly fast growing business, but as I said, uh, not so profitable. Uh, we had a 65 people sales team that was actually going and selling into local advertisers across, across India. Um, working with 35 television networks, we're the second largest buyer of inventory across TV after Unilever in India. So was well-positioned, but clearly was not sustainable. So we decided to pivot uh, in 2017 to a much more of a SaaS technology business, ended up letting go of our entire ad sales team, which was about a 65-people team. We kept the tech team, uh, but the, the entire uh, advertising and operations uh, team had to be let go. They were some of the best people that we had hired so it was heartbreaking. Uh, they were friends. I mean, a lot of them were friends, you know, fairly close ones. Uh, was really, really difficult uh, to let them go. But we had to pivot. I mean, as a company, we had less than $5 million in cash. Uh, uh, we, it was not sustainable and we were bleeding. So we ended up pivoting to a completely a tech SaaS business in 2017. I ended up moving to the U.S. to go build it on a much more global scale. So for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of Amagi? How, how are you guys making money? So yeah, ours is a very simple uh, business. We actually provide subscription software to television networks, content owners, and uh, sports rights owners, help them to create streaming channels uh, and deliver them to viewers you, you know, using ad-supported models or otherwise. So they pay us a monthly fee for every channel, every television uh, content that they stream. Uh, to consumers, and uh, we also partake uh, in terms of any advertising revenues that they would actually make. So also, how was the fundraising journey here? Because I know that you guys have raised quite a little bit of money, you know, quite some zeros there. So uh, so also, you know, there's a combination there between equity and secondaries as well. So uh, any, you know, uh, 
light that you could provide, you know, on that, you know, I'm sure that it will be beneficial too for the people that are listening so that they can really get to understand that you can actually, you know, sell some stock, you know, in your company before it goes public or before it gets acquired and gets some liquidity. So, so walk us through, you know, the fundraising, you know, the experience, and then also the equity versus secondaries. Absolutely. So we, we, we raised our, I mean, when we started the company, we, we, uh, we raised a seed f- uh, round from our, uh, an angel investor who was an, who was an investor, who was an angel investor in our previous company and what, what seen the returns would knew as we trusted us. So he wrote us a check even before we decided what, what business we are going to get into. Uh, so we raised, uh, at the initial raise was about $5 million. We actually raised, we also invested our own money. So, uh, uh, so that, that's the initial raise. Subsequently, as we built the India ad tech business, uh, we raised, uh, close to about $50 million over the next five to seven years, uh, from Prem G invest, one of the largest private equity funds in India and Mayfield, uh, as well as, uh, KKR, uh, funded, uh, Emerald media, uh, essentially between the three, uh, we ended up raising about $50 million or so. As I mentioned, by the time we got to 2017, we had pretty much burned through most of the cash. Uh, so we had to become much more self-sustainable. So we actually pivoted, uh, brought into break-even, where we were actually uh, self-sustaining as a business. But obviously, from a growth perspective, we ended up, we went back uh, to the market, raised money from Axel uh, and Norwest Ventures. Um, uh, and uh, last year, uh, we did another round between Axel and General Atlantic Partners, as well as Avatar. Uh, so over the course of the, uh, the last 15 years, we've raised about $300 million, a mix of both primary and secondary. Uh, the initial investors, uh, you know, Mayfield, uh, are, uh, uh, you know, KKR, they've exited through, through secondary rounds from the new investors that actually came in. Uh, we also had a buyback for some of our employees so that, you know, people that have stayed with us so we could actually provide some liquidity as part of the secondary raise. Uh, so we provide a, uh, provide a buyback option for all the employees as we did the, the last round raise. So it's been a very, very, so totally we raised about, you want to take about $300 million as a mix. Yeah, uh, it's been a very, very interesting journey. Uh, today we have uh, Norwest, General Atlantic, Avatar, and uh, Premji Invest, uh, apart from, of course, uh, Axel. Uh, as as part of the investor mix, and and also um, you were alluding to earlier, you know, when when you guys got together, you know, to really build this business, you wanted to build something scalable. And when it comes to scale, hey, you guys are generating big numbers already. So for the people that are uh, listening to really get an idea on the scope and size of Amagi today, I mean, anything that you can share at a high level. Uh, we 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 announced public numbers uh, a, a year and a half back. We crossed a couple of years back. Uh, we crossed hundred million dollars in ARR a couple of years back. Obviously, we have been growing. We are growing at about uh, thirty to forty percent year on year every year. And now we used to grow at hundred percent. Obviously, we went from zero to hundred million dollars in five years. Uh, uh, you know, certainly the the largest SaaS technology company in the media industry. Uh, today, uh, specifically focused on media, media entertainment, uh, primary with primary revenues uh, in the U.S. About seventy-five percent of the revenues in the U.S., about twenty uh, percent in Europe, and uh, rest uh, and the rest spread across the world. Uh, work with pretty much all the major television network brands. Work with the major networks, most of the major networks, most of the major sports leagues. Work with the biggest studios in the business. Uh, work with the largest station groups. About 
350 odd customers, pretty much who's who in the industry. If you look at the top 100 media companies today in the US, we would be working with about 80% of them as their backend SaaS technology vendor to help them run their broadcast on the cloud, to help them stream their content, uh, uh, to help them monetize their content using advertising. So, so in this case, you know, too, we were alluding to earlier, you know, the investors that you guys have onboarded and the money that you've raised. Obviously, you know, investors, they bet on a vision and as well as your customers, your employees. So imagine you were to go to sleep tonight, Srini, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Amagi is fully realized. What does that world look like? The world will look like where we become the operating system for our media and entertainment companies. So every media business out there is able to use Amagi as their underlying platform to run their entire business. What does that mean? As a media company, I acquire or produce content. I manage my content. I distribute my content to either you know, streaming platforms or my own direct-to-consumer app. I monetize that comment, uh, content using advertising or subscription. Right? If I'm able to, if Amagi is able to provide a platform for all of these media companies to you know, acquire, produce, manage, distribute, market, and monetize their content as the underlying platform, I think we'll be very, very, very happy. Uh, so amazing. we want to become the media operating system, the media cloud uh, for the M&D industry. Well, that looks like a beautiful, a beautiful world, Sereni. Now, we're talking about the future here, but I want to talk about the past and doing so with a lens of reflection. So let's say I put you into a time machine. And this is the moment where, you know, you are literally you know, thinking about, you know, you're doing your, your two-year vesting, you know, the, the vesting and resting that we were alluding to, you know, earlier. Uh, and let's say, you know, it's that day where you're like, enough is enough. I'm going to go and build my next company. And let's say on your way out of the building, you're able to stop that younger Sereni and you're able to give that younger Sereni, you know, because we're talking about 16 years ago, one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Uh, if there is one piece of advice, I would say focus on a really, really growing market. You know, the, the first business at Amagi when we actually started, we were pretty much creating the entire ecosystem. We were fighting against the entire industry to build a completely new business model. I, if there is one advice, I would say focus on a really large market. Focus on a growing market where the tide is with you, not against you. Uh, so a lot of lot of uh, work can go in, and you can be, I mean, tirelessly working towards actually building out a company. But if the market forces against you, that's going to be really really difficult. So I think the the biggest would be think as big as you can, think in the biggest way possible, and focus on market where there is a larger market growth, uh, and you are not trying to take, you know, focus on blue ocean rather than red ocean. I love it. So, uh, Srini, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Oh, the best way would be uh, my email would be kasatamagi.com, uh, A-M-A-G-I.com, or my LinkedIn, which is linkedin.com slash kasvasan, K-A-S-B-A-S-A-N. Amazing. Well, Srini, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure to be here, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.